as you create structure each day for your kids at a place, you're really insinuating yourself more in the local rhythms of a place than you would otherwise. You're in local parks where local people have their kids. You're going to uh, supermarkets and and sweet stores, and you're creating habits where people recognize you. Oh, there's the, there's the family with the cute kids, and so in a way, kids can be a secret weapon of travel because everybody either was a kid or a lot. Of, most people have kids or have had kids, and so suddenly you're creating a pretext through which you can talk. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode is a remix recording of the second installment of the Vagabond's Way Online Book Club. We're talking about each section of my book from month to month this year, so if you're interested in joining the live Zoom sessions, just shoot me an email at deviateatrolfpotts.com, and my assistant will send you Zoom links for any future sessions you might like to join. You're also invited to join me in person for one of my travel memoir writing workshops in Paris this summer. The July and early August classes are all sold out, but I do have some spaces open in the August 7th through 11th class, and I'd love to have some Deviate listeners join us. More information on that at pariswritingworkshops.com or in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. As for today's book club discussion, we talk about how to find consistency and community when you're living a nomadic lifestyle. We talk about why traditional guidebooks are still useful, even though many travel logistics can now be planned online. We talk about how to best decide where to go on a journey and how to transform your trip into a quest and many other topics raised by book club participants. The conversation begins as I'm discussing the English city of Nottingham, which is where our book club host Luke Richardson is calling me from. I've never been to Nottingham, but I'm curious to visit it someday, mainly because it calls to mind a noise rock band I listened to back in the 1990s. This makes us ponder the sometimes random factors that inspire us to visit new places. Let's listen in. We've just been talking about Nottingham, England, before uh, before everybody else got on. So, I have uh, travel on the on, on the brain once again. <laughs> it must be. It is one of those things, isn't it? That no matter how far you travel, and no matter how many places you visit, you can meet someone, and all of a sudden, somewhere else becomes interesting. You know, for whatever yeah. reason, they say something, and it's like, oh, I've never been there. That sounds great. Yeah, no, it's it's the the menu of options keeps keeps going bigger and bigger. And you know, I, I my association with Nottingham was a sludge metal band from the '90s, right? And then I, I've also been to Preston, England. I won't go on too much about that. I want us to get into our, our, our main conversation. Absolutely, but you're but you're exactly right. <laughs> you're exactly right that I think if a certain kinds of curiosity can lead you down little, little rabbit holes that that yield interesting results. So. So, talk, talking on the subject of our main conversation, should no one, should someone here not have heard of your book? Should they just have stumbled upon this, upon this quite by fortunate accident, a lucky accident in the true style of the vagabond's way? In fact, how would you describe it to them? Well, it's a it's a daily reading book, sort of like a devotional. It's it seems a little self regarding to call a book you've written a devotional book, but <laughs> it's it's meant to be read in the manner of a devotional. Where you just you you get in. I mean, you can read it uh, front to back uh, in one sitting or one very long sitting if you want. And some people have already, uh, but it's designed to be sort of absorbed one day at a time and sort of consider the day's themes and the and the quotes. Uh, and, and it sort of takes you over the course of a year through the path of a journey from planning 
to what is now inspiration was last month. This month is is planning, all the way through getting started on a journey and and getting deeper into a journey and surprising yourself on the road and returning back home at the end of a journey. And so one fun thing about this book club this year is that um, collectively, even though I, I've seen like people are, have, have been saying where, where they are in the world, they're all over the world. I think I saw New Zealand and Singapore and a couple of Chicago people. Um, and it, it'll be fun to sort of go on this collective philosophical journey, uh, even as we're going on literal physical journeys. And so that's part of the fun of the book is that it, it sort of creates a dynamic day-to-day with the idea of travel and the possibility of travel and sometimes the ethics travel and the challenges of travel in a way that hopefully can make us a little bit more uh, thoughtful about the way we travel the world. I've got a couple of questions written down here that are that are from people who've put them in the in the meeting box. Andrew, Andrew Eoff, are you are you in a position to ask this? My family and I just sold our house today actually. And uh, on March 9th we're we're taking a big trip over to Italy. We're going to do what I call uh visa hacking. We'll be 90 days in Italy and then we'll do 90 days in the Balkans and then you know, maybe back in Italy and Tunisia. We've been getting connected really well, so we're excited for the trip. Very anxious for it. We have two toddlers, a two-year-old and a one-year-old, so um, not sure what we're getting into. But my question was really about um, how to find consistency. Our kids um, like their consistency that we've built here at home. And so how to find consistency in more of a nomadic lifestyle. Our hope is to have about 30 days per city so that we can get well connected with each city so that maybe in the future we have um, kind of a home base or a couple home bases rather than just be a nomadic forever. And so two questions. One is how to build consistency within that nomadic lifestyle. And two, if there's any cities in Italy and the Balkans that jumps out to you as a potentially um, great city for families. You ask a great question about consistency as you travel. And I think people who travel with kids, they have to create a kind of consistency as they travel. It's one thing to be a dirtbag traveler who's 23 and just sort of following whatever inspires you. But kids need structure, even as they're they're having this great educational experience from a journey. Structure helps. One great uh, prize of that is that as you create structure each day for your kids in a place, you're really insinuating yourself more in the local rhythms of a place than you would otherwise. You're in local parks where local people have their kids. You're going to uh, supermarkets and, and sweet stores and you're creating habits where people recognize you. Oh, there's the, there's the family with the cute kids. And so in a way, kids can be a secret weapon of travel because everybody either was a kid or a lot of, most people have kids or have had kids. And so suddenly you're creating a pretext through which you can talk. And actually I haven't, I don't have kids, but I, when I travel with my parents, suddenly a family unit is something that's relatable all over the world. And it's a great secret weapon as a traveler. And so I think basically the consistency you create just through the habits of getting your kids through the day and making sure that they're fed and, and, and properly entertained and educated in the course of the day will create cool travel experiences for you. Um, and then you were you were asking about recommendations in Italy or, or the Balkans. I think this goes into something we've been talking about before. There's you, you don't want to skip the Romes and the, and the Milans, you know, and the Amalfi coasts of those places. But see if you can find a place just by asking around or just sort of road tripping in, in one direction or another. Find a place that is sort of like Tuscany, but is less well known than Tuscany. Um, my this I put this in the book. It's later in the book that um, my my wife 
uh, traveled when she was in her 20s with her parents and her dad missed the airplane connection because they thought 1530 was 530, whereas military time, it's 330 that they use in Europe. And so instead of saying, oh, man, this day is ruined, he said, okay, let's just don't stay next to the airport. Let's just go north into the Alps and see what we find. And they found this little village shrouded in mist. They had no idea that they were going to be. And they were they loved their tourist trail experiences in Italy. But because dad made a mistake and they went to a part of the Alps that they had no idea that they're going to go there before that day, that was the most memorable part of the experience. So probably more than giving you a specific recommendation in Italy or the Balkans, just keep that in your holster that Dad can be a guy who can change his mind and you can go to a place that you didn't think you were going to go, but you're going to go and use a great phrase called, let's go see. Brilliant, brilliant question. Alex Smith, would you like to ask your question? Yeah, sure. Um, I think mine relates to when my wife and I started traveling, you know, over 15 years ago together, we bought a one-way ticket to Europe and did a lot of that last minute kind of planning on the road and we've found that in the last couple of years with COVID that there's now even a great influx of revenge travelers, we like to call them, where they're overly traveling now and it may be harder to find reservations. And so we have this anxiety to, to actually pre-book a lot of things, which is even against our kind of mantra of travel. And so we're trying to find that happy balance of leaving things open, but also not maybe missing out on experience or or even just missing out on the ability to stay in a city that we want to go and visit. Yeah, no, that that's a thing. And that that's um uh some of my Paris students had that problem this summer. It, it's sort of a funny story. It's a great problem to have as a travel writer. One of my students he wanted to do couch surfing, but when he showed up, all the couch surfing hosts were booked except for the nudists, right? <laughs> the, the only people who had couch surfing availabilities were the nudists. And so he had to make the decision, do I want to you know, be naked in a house with some French person I've never met before? That was sort of a funny footnote, and I'm sure it'll eventually make for a great a travel story. Um, but yeah, it's something to keep in mind, that balance, that revenge travelers thing. One thing I will say that... Um, I think the internet era has made us over-dependent on traveling things virtually. Uh, when I was first a dirtbag backpacker, you could show up in town and just sort of walk around and until you found a hotel or a homestay or something. And so I wouldn't be sloppy about it, you know, throw planning out altogether. But even if that worst case scenario comes and the, every place is booked, but the nudists on couch surfing, I think there's ways, sure, you could try the nudists at couch surfing, but there's also ways to find, to ask somebody. And in fact, the person I talked to on my podcast, she was hitchhiking across Europe looking for pastries. And she would go into the pastry shop at any given place. And oftentimes if, if she didn't have a booking for a place, she would ask the pastry shop owner where to find a place to stay. And often she stayed with the pastry shop owner's cousin or friend or something like else like that. And so I think, um, I think the kindness of strangers goes a long way and just sort of being vulnerable to a place and asking someone who takes an interest in you, gosh, all the hotels are booked. Where does a person stay like this? And they're like, I'm going to make a few calls. You stay here. And that's a fun part of travel. Absolutely is. It absolutely is. I like that. I think you talk about purpose there as well. I think having a purpose for the travel can change it, can't it? It can give it something else, something else to do if if you're doing it long term. But like you were talking to your friend uh, who wanted to eat as many pastries as she could, that gave her a much a very different direction to that experience than it would if she were just going to see, perhaps. 
Yeah, it gave, it gave her a mission. And sometimes, like her most memorable experiences, many of those weren't even pastry related, you know, that they were they were what happened on her way from one pastry shop to the next. In the February section of the book, I talk about Kevin Kelly, who's also been on my podcast, whose mission as a young traveler in the 1970s was to take photos. He, he just decided he was, even though National Geographic didn't give him a job, he was just going to travel around taking photos. And that gave him a mission every day. And Again, his some of his most interesting experiences were not photo related, but because he had a mission to structure his experience, that gave him a pretext. And, and also, I would guarantee you that having a camera in his his hand was like uh, my friend who was going after pastries. That he was having conversations, and he was asked into so many more homes. Uh, because of his mission, because of his interest. And this can be any interest, local food, sure, local sports, like um, even an interest in architectural styles or, or city planning or other reasons to take an interest in a place will expose you to people and experiences that just tourist spot on your bucket list won't. And nothing against bucket lists, but I think sometimes that weird thing, that that interest that makes you sort of weird and nerdy at home is going to make you vulnerable to all the weird, nerdy people in, in the new place who are also interested in that thing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Tony, Tony Leach, have you got a question for us? Hello. I remember Tony from last time. Yes, thank you. This is my second time back. I love this group. This is cool. Um, I was just wondering, so I know, Rolf, you were, you know, a dirt bag traveler for decades, and now things have changed since you got married pretty recently. So I've I've done a um, one big bonding trip, I guess, in my younger days when I was 30 years old by myself, spent three months in Costa Rica. So now my husband and I are talking about um, doing a vagabonding trip, like before retirement, you know, easing into it. So we're planning a one month trip somewhere in 2024. And we don't have anything solidified except that it's going to happen in 2024. Uh, so I was wondering if you have any advice on kind of like how to choose a location in a specific time so that, you know, accommodating two travelers versus just one. Well, I, as you were talking about Costa Rica, I was thinking, well, first off, are you from the northern part of the Midwest? Yeah, I'm from, uh, well, originally from Wisconsin, but now I live in northern Minnesota. So big change. Yeah, Luke and I were talking about uh, <laughs> regional accents before, and I, I caught a little bit of northern Midwest in your accent. So, oh, yeah. Um, I can I, dial I, it up for you if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a whole other, that's a whole other book club, you know, um, um, regional <laughs> accents. Um, no, when you're talking about Costa Rica, I was thinking I have friends who've gone to Costa Rica because they found a cheap plane ticket. And so from North America, your pretext uh, with your partner, maybe like see what's uh, what see, see what's cheap. Um, when I was based in New York for a while, I found like a $270 ticket to Bogota, Colombia. And that's why I went there. And that was super fun just because step A, which sometimes can cost thousands of dollars in this case, was was as cheap as it was to fly to the other coast. Right. So one good standby is. um is uh, what's cheap to fly to from where I am. If you, if you don't have a very concrete idea of where you might go, that is one thing. You know, also your interests, also seasons. You know, like um, one chapter I talk about in February is going against the usual season. Like I went to Myanmar during rainy season. Nobody goes to Myanmar during the rainy season. It was actually super interesting. It was super wet, 
But people, local people weren't jaded to me in the same way they would have been during high season. I was like the only dude in the village. I was one of only six people at the Bagan Plains seeing these monuments that everybody goes to. And so going in the off season, I was wetter, but it was more interesting. Um, and so that's another strategy. You know, you, you can go with the high season if you don't mind having a lot of other tourists in an area, but maybe finding a place that counterintuitively could be interesting to go. And then, you know, just interests. I think... Um, Again, monuments like the, the pyramids or the, or the Eiffel Tower are great because once you've seen them, you can find other interesting things along the way. But any le weird little uh, regional interest, I'll throw out a Wisconsin reference because that's where you said you were from. That's a cheese place. They have a great dairy industry there. So if you grew up with a certain taste for a certain kind of cheese, you can use that as a window into experiencing other places because cheese in Greece has a little bit different of a texture than cheese in France or other parts of the world. And Asia, I know some people are joining us from Asia today. Asia isn't a cheese culture at all, right? And so um, going to that, that blue my mind when I first went to Korea, going to a place where you, you have a giant grocery store and there's almost no cheese at all, except in the weird food that foreigners eat section. Uh, so that's another idea. Hopefully, hopefully some of these ideas might, uh, might spark with you as you're planning your next journey with your partner. And I'm still learning about partner travel personally, but I, I would imagine as long as your chemistry is fine, it's not going to make it too much different, but he will be able to allow you to see things that you didn't see before. Even if you end up going back to Costa Rica, you know, that the traveling as a couple will allow you to enjoy that dynamic. Like maybe if he's into surfing and you're not, then he can surf and you can do something. And then your interest might be different in the next village. And uh, the team, one great thing about traveling as a team is that you can split up and then come back and compare notes, right? That you don't have to be together the whole time, but it's like, yeah, I'm just going to walk around the neighborhood. I'm not really interested in this department store or this, this uh, tourist monument, but you go there, tell me what it's like. I'll go here and then we'll meet, have a great dinner and we'll compare notes. So that's one thing I love about uh, traveling with the partners that you don't have to be together the whole time. Thank you. So, appreciate that. So true. Great points and good question, Tony. Thank you. Uh, Jarek, have you got a question for us? Yes, I do. Also, my second time. Um, it's good to be back. You gave me great advice last time, Rob. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Um, we were earlier in this conversation, we were talking about how there are mundane experiences, but no real bad experiences in travel. And it reminded me of a podcast that I listened to um, of, of Deviate, where you were speaking with Tim Cahill and how the most, the worst travel experiences create the best stories. But I was also thinking about something that we then brought up later about having a mission for your travels. And so, in that podcast, you talked about quests and, and how when you have a quest on a trip, it sets you up to experience things that you wouldn't otherwise experience if you were going to see the big tourist areas. So have you had a quest throughout your life? Have you been inspired to, has your quest been to inspire people or to find happiness or, or how can you look back and see how your life has formed? Has it been, you've been guided on this quest or have you just kind of been living in the day to day or have you always had like a, a journey that you knew you wanted to follow. Yeah, well, um, to, to to divert a little bit, the great, I feel like, I, did I quote Kierkegaard the last time we had this book club? Life yes. is lived forwards and understood yes. backwards. And so that's my default that, that yeah, it, when I look back, I can think, yeah, inspiration and, and sort of 
seizing each day for what it is and, and being present in the moment. But I think that's a that's a hindsight retrospective. And another thing I talked about last time was uh, just the anxiety I had as a younger traveler. I wanted to scratch some certain experiences off my list. And so I did have a few missions. Some of them had to do with being a travel writer. My first big byline that got me into the best American travel writing was trying to invade the set of The Beach, that movie that Leonardo DiCaprio was in years and years ago. That was very much a mission. And if you read that story, I, I completely failed in my mission to get on the movie set. But what was interesting about that is, is sort of how it became a failure and how I made sense of how we travel through that failure. Another chapter that's in my second book, Marco Polo Didn't Go There, is called Be Your Own Donkey, where I, I decided I wanted to travel through the desert on the back of a donkey, but nobody would sell me one, right? And so finally this guy said, be your own donkey, dude. He didn't say dude because he's Egyptian. They don't have that in the vernacular. But I started walking across the desert. And if you look at my first book, Vagabonding, that's me walking through the desert um, when after I was not being able to sold a donkey. So that's just two examples that are one great stories. They're in my book that collects my stories, but two, they're also about failure. And so what was interesting, interesting failures is that's another, I think if, if we're going to get some catchphrases out of this conversation, let's go see is a good strategy and knowing that no failure is lost as long as you don't allow it to be, you know, um, if it's preferable to stay out of the hospital, but uh, uh, no failure can be lost if you allow yourself to learn from and take joy in that failure. A great attitude, a great attitude. I've got one more question um, from, from someone on the call today. If you you have a burning question, we've probably got a couple more minutes. We could probably answer a, a, another very short one if, if if need be. Just pop it in the chat and I will I will circle back to you if if time allows. Uh, finally, here, Kim, Kim Lange, have you got your question? Are you able to unmute yeah, yourself? Hi there. Thanks so much for being here, Rob. Um, you mentioned on February 13th, is, uh, where it happens to be, the title is um, Travel Books Are uh, an Outmoded but Still Useful Resource. And I just wondered if you still, uh, either traveling with your wife or traveling solo, um, do you ever use a guidebook anymore? Well, it's funny. In last month's conversation, I didn't have a copy of my own book handy. But it turns out I have a copy of this book handy. I went to the Faroe Islands this summer uh, and I used the Brat Guide. Interestingly, I didn't use it a ton, um, but it was it was good to get a little bit of a background on the Faroe Islands. I, I don't regret having bought it, even though I didn't use it every day. Um, yeah, so I think we're at a time like my my nephew is in England right now. He he he's doing an exchange in Oxford, and my wife and I bought him a, an England guidebook for for Christmas. He's Gen Z, so it might be a little bit exotic for him, but I bet he'll find some good stuff in that. And one thing, one good thing that guidebooks do have is cultural advice. Even if you're not going to use it to find restaurants and stuff, it's like, yeah, what should I dress when I go to this temple? How should I be in this kind of church? Why is it weird when I proffer my hand and nobody wants to shake it in this country? Those that kind of background information will be will be super useful. Um, and uh, just as a corollary to that, I talk about this also in February is that guidebooks are useful, but so are travel memoirs about a specific place. I think also on my de desk, I have a travel memoir about uh, the land of maybe by Tim, Tim Eckhart, which is about the, the Faroe Islands. And then also novels by people who live there, which is something that took me a long time to learn. But I also read like some Faroese uh, sagas that maybe were written a thousand years ago were super interesting in terms of what was, was there. So absolutely, guidebooks have great information, even if you don't use them every day, as do novels and travel memoirs. So I'm a big fan of that. 
Um, you don't, I mean, your backpack gets pretty heavy by the time you bring a ton of books, but that this is part of that conversation between before and after the trip that reads some beforehand, read some during and read some after. And then it's as if you never fully leave that amazing place. I'm sure whenever I hear about the Faroe Islands, I will go back to my growing Faroe Islands library that uh, is now in my house. Thanks. I think sometimes I do it as just to get not really you know prepared, but just get more excited about my trip, and you know I have more fun planning it, <laughs> even if I don't use it as much when I get there. So. Oh, planning is so is so much fun if it's even if it's stuff you don't actually do. It sort of whets yeah. your appetite. I think. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And Rolf, um, someone asked up here, what, what do you have any travels planned coming up this year or into the future? Well, it's funny. Since we spoke last, I've been to Oregon and the uh, Mojave Desert, um, and and to Wichita, Kansas, which is not, which is where I grew up, was not where I live now. Um, I do. I'm going back to Paris as I always do. I teach my uh, writing class. We talked about that last time each summer. I'm really looking forward to that. And, and as I told you, Luke, I, I we might do a side trip to England. Uh, my wife is very, very fond of England, and I'm under traveled in England. I've been there several times, but not. I haven't done it justice. Um, I'm also thinking about Kenya. It's 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 too early, and so um, I am proof uh, that you don't need to over. You don't need to plan too far in advance because I'm not sure. I know I'm going to be in Paris, but I'm not sure what my side trips are yet. Maybe Kenya, maybe England. Um, last year was Norway and the Faroe Islands. I don't know. Maybe Italy. Maybe Spain. We'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to be in Europe this summer. That sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. And I look forward to talking about it. I'm hosting the next one of these in um, at the beginning of April, and I will be on the road on my route to Istanbul on the train. I'm getting the train from Nottingham to Istanbul, and I'll be somewhere in Poland at that time. haven't quite decided the route yet, but that's where I'll be. I can let you know at the time. <laughs> I, I love it. Last time, Erica was in Ghana. You're in England now. You'll be on the road next time, and I think we... One fun thing about this month to month conversation is just is not only that it's multi-continental, but that people can come back and they'll be in different places, including myself. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com slash deviate. If you'd like to join future sessions of this online book club, just email me at deviate at rolfpotts.com and I'll get your name on the list for our next Zoom session. This episode was produced by Cedar Van Tassel, who also does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.